doing this morning? I'm, I'm still great, believe it or not. I am, I am living off of the, the, the passion that came out of being able to see another child come to Christ and become a child of God. Is that not awesome? Can we not just get excited about that? Ah, heaven. I can't help it, and I don't apologize for it. I'm, I'm a little crazy. I'm a little out there, but I am excited that we have kids that want to spend all week with us in VBS and then to see the fruits of that on the other side of it. That is incredible. Um, let's take God's word on that note. Let's take God's word and dive in to Philippians. Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1 here in just a minute. Uh, Philippians chapter number 2. If we know anything uh, about sports, then we have all heard coaches. I've sat in locker rooms after they've lost a game here in Bibb County and heard the, the phrase, guys, I don't know what you're doing out there. There's no I in team. Okay, This normally happens when we've got somebody on the team that thinks that the game was all about them and to like cushion their stats. Okay? And they, they do it at the expense of the team. They do it at the expense of actually winning and helping the rest of the team be better. Somehow he thinks that this game is about him and he's going to go pro one day. And so this mindset starts very early. I've watched it. You don't believe me, you can come hang out with us at the, at the baseball and football field every once in a while. Coaches do a great job of getting that back under control, but if it's not gotten back up under control, then the team is going to end up losing a lot more games than they're going to win because they're not concerned about the rest of the team. With this in mind, let's consider how Christ's own humility gives us the hope of salvation what we just got through witnessing the results of, that hope of salvation and how this should impact how we live our lives now. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Begin reading in verse 1. I'll read a couple of verses and then we'll pray together. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Let's pray as we enter into this time of worship together. Father, we ask you to, God, I ask you to, Forgive me from where I failed you. God, I ask you to remove me from the picture this morning. God, that your word would be open to us and that we would have ears to hear it. God, may we draw closer to you in this time together. And at the end of this, may you have been glorified and blessed above all things. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it starts off in, in verse 1, and it uses the word if. Okay? It says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if there are all these things. Well, what does that describe? If, since is the word there. That's what meaning it carries. Since you have a relationship 
with Christ. That's, that is, in the most literal form, the way that verse 1 is read. Since you have a relationship with Christ, we see that this cannot, we cannot simply have just an imitation. Since Christ is in you. This must not be something that we appear to be on the outside. We see that Jesus faced this over and over again. One example is we see Nicodemus. He came to Nicodemus, and it points out in John 3 that he was a ruler, a high ruler, ranking in the Jewish law system. And he, Jesus looked at him and he said, Are you not a religious ruler and know not these things? See, he, he was talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus would have been in the church, the religious sector of that time. He was there in the middle of it, and yet his relationship with Christ was not anything like what he thought that it was. Paul says here, since you are a Christian, since you have love, since you have the affections of Christ in you, this is the way he starts this off. It's very important that you know beyond a shadow of any doubt that you belong to Christ. That's what we stress all week. These, these kids, they have such a long time if God tarries his coming to serve him at such a young age all the way up. But they got to know. 1 John 5, 13 says, I write these things to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that what? You may know. He had written the whole book of 1 John as a series of tests and confirmation, confirming with the church of that day that they were indeed Christians. Now that sounds kind of backwards. We, we come into church and we're like, well, everybody must be saved. Mm -mm. That's why we're here. Just like a, a hospital is for sick people, the church is for lost people. We have lost that come in here every day. That's what we invited. We had that, that time of decision, in, even in VBS with the kids. And so when we think about this, the if is a big deal. And it's the sense that we are a Christian can only be true. And we can only do what the rest of this passage is telling us to do if we are. He starts it off, since you have a relationship with Christ. Look at verse number two. Since you have a relationship with Christ, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one another and having the same mind. The same mind We'll get to what that mind is in just a second. But the same mind, what it's not, is always being agreement with each other. All right, my brothers here, I can say this, okay? I was bigger than my brothers at one time, okay? I was, I promise. Now my youngest one is about six foot two and 245, something like that. I don't know if I'm giving or taking a little bit, but he's bigger than I am, okay? Jason's bigger than I am. I'm not very threatening besides the beard. Okay, that's about it. We didn't always agree with things. But as long as I was the oldest and had the bigger stature, guess whose way was gotten? Mine. Now, they didn't like it. They would always go crying back to mom. <sighs> Sorry. They would always go crying back to mom and say, look, he didn't let me get my way. I'm, I'm done being his brother. 
Now, was he really? No. We, we made up later, and we're still, indeed, brothers, and we get to serve together now. So it wasn't the end of the line just because I didn't let him have his way in cops and robbers. It just, you know, that, I was always the good guy, okay? So I always kind of tended to go the way that I wanted to go when I was a kid. So we never did have any, we never did really agree on all those things. And that's not what this is talking about either. Rather, this means that since we are God's children, we are to think and to act toward others as Christ does for us. We are to act and think toward others as Christ does for us. As the family of God, we will have disagreements. We will be unhappy with one another. But it's important to remember that how much God loves you and me. And how this must impact the way that we treat each other. It must. No matter where we're at. I heard a quote over this past weekend. We were in our, uh, the youth camp um, at the beach this weekend with Kaysen. And it said, there is no way that we can have an encounter with the God of the universe and stay the same. There's no way. No way. It must radically change who you and I are. Not just here, but everywhere. It has to start here. But this is supposed to radically change every day of our life. If we have had that encounter. So let's get to the phrase that we started off at the very beginning. There is no I in team. Look at verse 3 and 4 with me. Look at verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This is where we started off at. If you got somebody that's really good, I don't know what that's like because I've never been that guy on the team that was trying to pad my stats, I didn't even hardly get to play a lot of the time, okay? So I'm, I'm not that guy. Now, I thought I was at times. We played at a little school called Cahaba Christian, where I graduated from, and I graduated top four in my class out of four people. Okay? And basically, the, 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 the criteria in which you got to play a sport was that you were a guy and you were breathing. They didn't really worry about the rest of it. You're just going to be a warm body out there. And that's what I was. I got to start most games, actually, in that regard. But as far as being the best one out there, I wasn't. But I thought I was. I did. I thought I was. And I was even less intimidating then. It was awful. But as we started out talking about this person that puts the center of attention on them on a team can cause more harm. In fact, it always causes more harm than good because there's no I in team. What that looks like with us is it's not always about what we think. It's not me being recognized for what I do for Christ. That's what he said in verse 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. If we are serving Christ to be recognized, we need to sit down and think about that for a second. Think about it. Who's got the nail prints in his hands and his feet? Do we deserve any of that? Absolutely not. I get to serve my Savior 
with my family of God because I am bought with the blood that Jesus spilt on the cross. There is nothing about this that is me. Nothing. Nothing. Why did Jesus die on the cross? For others. Who do we share the gospel with? Others. To think of others rather than ourselves is having the mind of Christ. Simple as that. In the human form, if you don't believe this, in the human form, Jesus wasn't just tickled to death about being going on the cross to die. If you don't believe me, look at the Garden of Gethsemane prayer. He cries out to God. He said, if there is any other way that this cup could pass from me, please let it be. But what did he say? Not my will, but yours. He had to make a choice, guys. The only way that you and I are sitting here with that hope of salvation is because that choice was not for himself, but was for ultimately glorifying God by saving you and me by dying on the cross. All to glorify the Father. He made the decision to serve others, not himself. So let's look at that example a little more. We kind of got a little bit ahead there, but that's fine. We get a little bit excited. Look at verse 5 through 8. Let's look at, what, let's look at his example in detail. It, that He gives us a beautiful picture here of all that the gospel is. Verse 5. Look at it with me. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. Remember that. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. A servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We see the mind of Christ example played out right in front of us. This is the same mind. You remember I told you we would get to that. This is the same mind that should be in us. Back up when we talked in verse 2, complete my joy by having the same mind right here. It answers the question that we've been coming to the whole time. What mind? Have this mind. What mind? The mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's the reason it's so important that we make sure that we are in Christ Jesus so this mind can be ours. That is the only way that this can happen. Humility is what we see in these verses, verse 5 through 8. We see God humble himself to the point of sending his son to die for us. Jesus was 100% God. He was 100% man. And by coming to earth, he took the form of a servant and died for you and me when we were his enemies. We didn't have anything to offer. We had nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's why this picture of adoption is still on my mind, y'all. I promise. This picture of adoption is, it, it gets me to tears every single time I think about it. Because when we go look and we are searching and praying over what child God would want us to have, we realize that that child will be able to give us nothing that we already have because we are so much more privileged in the part of the world that we're in. This child is going to be coming over and sick. He's not going to look like most babies. He or she, they're not going to be as healthy as we see 
our little chunky niece that's in the nursery down here. She's beautiful. I love it. They have nothing to offer and everything to gain by our adopting. Oh, my goodness. Can we just look at that as a picture of what Christ did for us? How much can we actually bring to him that he don't already own already? Nothing. There is no incentive that we can give Christ to want us. And yet he does. John 3.16, plain as you can get. For God so loved the world. He loved it so much that he had to do something about our sin problem and gave his son to die on the cross, rise again, serve as the propitiation for our sins, and now he sits on the throne. Satan has a spot in hell, and I don't. Isn't that awesome? Can we get just a little bit excited about that? I'm sorry. This, we are going to heaven one day, and we don't have to go to hell. That in itself ought to be enough to get us plum excited. And not only that, but we get to talk. Do you realize we talk to these kids all week? They love to talk, okay? And that's fine. We let them have a little bit more free time during the week. But do you realize that that's what we get to do with our Savior every single day? The creator of the universe is so jealous of our time, not because he's trying to be a boss, but because he loves us. He wants to talk to us. The same one that gave me that breath wants to talk to me. He wants me to dig into his word. He wants to have a relationship. He knows how many hairs are on my face or on my head, right? He knows these details. He has our tears in a bottle. Look it up. But God cares about us this much. And he wants us to have the same mind as him. John 13, 12 through 15. You can write that down. We're not going to go to all these, but I'm going to give you some addresses to some scripture. You can look these up later. John 13, verse 12 through 15, and Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verse 24 through 30, gives examples of where Christ actually sits down. If you know something about the culture back in that time, they walked everywhere in sandals on dirt roads. Nasty feet. That's not my favorite thing. I don't get into that. I don't even like my own nasty feet sometimes. But what Jesus did was, and what was custom in that day, was when travelers would come in off the road to a house, they would let the master, the guest, the, the, the one that was inviting the guest in, would take off the sandals of those that were traveling and wash their feet. And Jesus did this. He did this for his disciples to give them an example of humility. Matthew 18, verse 1 through 6, he welcomed all children to himself. Look at this this last week. Guys, we had a mission field walk in this door every single night, hungry for more than just food. Looking for somebody to say, I love you and mean it. They have no idea. Some of them had no clue. They would attach themselves and maybe they would talk our ears off, but they were looking for somebody to love them. And Jesus, with open arms, did the same. He welcomed those kids to himself. That's a, he was really the first children and youth pastor that we see in the Bible, if you want to put it that way. He sat and let children come and jump up in his arms as he was teaching and welcomed it. He also had meals. We see the mind of Christ continued here. This is just what we see when we see God's humility, the mind of Christ. He had meals with sinners that were rejected by the religious leaders. Mark chapter 2 gives us an example of Matthew when he called Levi the tax collector. 
taxes don't really come as a positive thing to us, especially in America. We won't get off on that. We haven't got time. But the fact is we understand that we even sometimes feel like that we get money taken away from us that don't really belong there. Okay? This is what, and they would do this as a custom. These, these uh, tax collectors would work for the Roman government. They were Jews, worked for the Roman government. And as long as they got the Roman government what they needed, they could pocket the rest of it. Well, this is old Matthew. He is a thief. And Jesus walks by his booth and says, come follow me. Come spend some time with me. And he drops what he's doing and he goes. And the very next scene that we see is Jesus sitting in the middle of what the Bible calls a gathering, a party. And he was sitting and eating with sinners and tax collectors. Guys, this is what God has called you and me to do as the church. We are to go out. When we leave this place, the world should know that we are the body of Christ. This is what we are called to do, is to love those that are still God's enemies because he does. That's what we're called to do. The mind of Christ. We are to be humble in this point to do this. One last thing we see and then we'll move on. It says we also see that Christ, as humble as he, as he was, we see him sitting and welcoming children. We see him doing things, serving but we also see time and time again where he spoke with authority. He spoke as one that came from God. This is what he, he was, he was God 100%. So he had this authority. He spoke with authority. So for us, what this calls us to do, turn to Hebrews. I do want to read this one, a couple of verses here. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3 and let's, let's just take a look at what this, what this part of the mind of Christ looks like with us. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Hebrews 3, 13 and 14 says this, But exhort, encourage, that's where that, that word goes to, exhort, encourage one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So what does this mean for us? What is speaking with authority? What, is, what does this mean? This means that as, as we begin to go out and we are humbly engaging with each other and with the world, that we are to humbly challenge and hold each other accountable. Verse 13 says that we are to exhort each other, encourage each other, and... Hold to the confidence of the truth in God's word. So Jesus never compromised that in his ministry. Never. He always held true to thus says this book. Because he was the book. He was the word. Look at John chapter 1. He was the word. So he held true to the truth. He never wavered from it. But he did it in a humble way. He showed his leadership in humility. It's backwards to an American culture that we live in, I know. But this is what Jesus was all about. We are to exhort one another and hold each other to the confidence of the truth in God's word. We must stand on what God's word says in a loving way with each other. You see, this is, we said earlier, this is all because we are in Christ. Started off with it. We, in our own strength without God, cannot 
be this way. We can't. You don't believe me? Look, turn on ESPN. Turn on CNN and see how many politicians and sports people are humble. Now, that's not, that's not throwing any, anything around on them. We're this, we got the potential to be the same way. That's us. That's any of us without Christ. We are drawn to stating and wanting our own way, being able to say, like we talked about earlier, being able to say that we accomplished something. Only with his strength in us can we live out this mind of Christ, the mind that was also in Christ Jesus. The only way that we can live out this mind that was in Christ Jesus is for us to be in Christ. That's it. And before this can be true, we have to realize what verses 9 through 11, this is a key part of this whole thing, the center. None of these things that we're saying is going to make any sense unless we grab a hold of this truth. Look at verses 9 through 11. Let's go back. We're in Philippians. Again, back to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. Look at this. Jesus just got through saying that, he had, that uh, Paul just got through talking about Jesus being humble to the point of death on a cross. And it says, therefore... God was highly exalted, has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of who? God the Father. Even Jesus, the Savior of the world that was right there with God and created us in the very beginning, exalted God over all else and made God alone the most important thing. Look at his last part of the prayer that we just talked about in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, not my will, because I don't really want to die, but your will be done. That's what he said. To the glory of of God the Father. It's got to be God exalted and not me. It's got to be. If it's about me, then I am no different than anybody else trying to pat myself on the back and build up my stats to make myself look better. And I highly doubt, if we want to just go a little further with it, I highly doubt that as, even if I was any good, which I, I thought I was okay, but even if I was any good actually at sports, God's not going to, on judgment day, say, you know what? You had a pretty good batting average. Your shot percentage was pretty good. And then start calling out my stats. That's not going to matter anymore. What's going to matter is if we have exalted him on this earth because God's word just told me that every knee is going to bow. So we're either going to bow now or simply bow later. What are we going to do? God has got to be exalted. If we are to have the mind of Christ, this must be the same for us. We must remove ourselves from the picture and fully recognize that we live for the sole purpose of obeying and worshiping Jesus. Period. All this other stuff is extra. Does he allow us to enjoy our food? 
Sure. Does he allow us to spend time with our families on the weekends? Sure. Does he allow us to enjoy the beach, the mountains, whichever one you prefer? Sure. He gives us these things as good gifts, but those good gifts can never become our goal for living. It cannot be the end to which we strive for because you know what? We're not taking any of that with us. I know we've heard this over and over and over again, but guys, I think it's very relevant that we continue to say it even more as the day is approaching. God says you better be on your toes and know where you stand with Christ. He's got to be the one that we're exalting. If, we, if he's the one that we're exalting, we'll be able to love others like he did. If we're not loving others like he did, we, chances are we're not exalting the right one. He has got to be the most important thing, period, in our life. God must not just be something that we put on our schedule. He's got to be our life. Because if we go putting things, how many of you made a schedule and you had to go, you erase something and had to put something back over it and you did it and you realize you ain't got enough time in a day to do it? Happens to me all the time. I got notes telling me where my notes are to remind me where the calendar is that I wrote down what I'm supposed to be doing tomorrow. All these things, we don't, we don't, we get all tangled up in, in a schedule and something ends up getting left out. Guys, God, we can't afford to do that. He must be our life in such a way that if it comes down to a question of am I going to exalt Christ or am I going to do what my flesh wants, hands down, it's Christ every time. Now, are we going to get this right 100% of the time? No. But even when we stumble, we need to learn to stumble in the direction of Jesus. We've got to, to the point that when we stumble, it bothers us that we don't sit in it and love it. John, 1 John warns about that. If we can live in our sin and it not bother us, I'm telling you, go read 1 John. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but this is what God's word says. If we can live in the darkness, you need to check up on that thing. Because the Bible says that can't happen. If we are going to exalt Christ, if we're gonna have the mind of Christ, then we have to exalt him. The worship that Brother Dennis leads to exalt Jesus. The preaching to exalt Jesus. Those greeting people coming in the door to exalt Jesus. Those feeding people at VBS is to exalt Jesus. Those leading the kids around from class to class is to exalt Jesus. The way that you live tomorrow is supposed to be to exalt Jesus. And if your passion points to something else over Jesus, we need to check up on it. Because I'm telling you, the, the, these kids that are looking at us now, these students, these people that we are leaders as adults in this room, they are looking at what our passion is. And if it's not Jesus, if we get our dander up over stuff that is not godly more than we do Jesus, they're going to follow that. we got to get excited about Jesus, man. When that rubs, that passion will rub off on people. The same as if I'm passionate about something else. For instance, I love fishing. Why? My dad loves fishing. We're not any good at it, and I'm sorry, I, I, you know, you can go out and tell him that if you want to. We're not, we're not really professional fishermen. We just like to do it because he likes to do it. It's not a guarantee, and it's not a promise, but I would hate for that to be on my head. And we have got to live as though this book is 100% true and that the God in it deserves our exaltation and that when we get passionate, that it's about him, Period because they're watching we can preach about it we can teach about it we can wear the t-shirt have the bumper sticker but until we start living it 
they're not blind. They're going to see straight through that. We have got to live in such a way that when the name of Jesus is proclaimed, whether it's victory in Jesus or good, good father by Chris Tomlin, that we can say, praise Jesus, he died for me and I'm one of his children. We can be that fired up that no matter where the name of Jesus is said, that we get excited about it. God must not just be something on our schedule. Finally, we come to this. Verse 14 and 15. Skip down a couple of verses. Philippians chapter 2. Do all things. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Do you see that? You see, if we, if we realize and know that it's not just a simply an imitation in our life, if we are on the same page as Christians, if we realize there's no I in team and that we obey this mind of Christ example that we have took time to look at this morning and we realize that it's God good to be exalted, then we will have the same mind. And when others see us, they will not see us tearing down each other, but they'll see us encouraging and loving one another. They'll see us going outside of this room and living the Christ life. That's hard. The cost of disciple, Luke 14, is tough. Have you counted it? Say this again. We cannot have an encounter with the creator of the universe and stay the same. I can't help but be excited. And I'm not really worried about what somebody else thinks about it. In fact, it would be great if they noticed. Do others notice that in us? Do others notice? Are they drawn to Christ by the way that they see us treating each other? Are they drawn to Christ by how we love one another and by how we love the lost world around us? Are they? Do we have the same mind of Jesus? That we would love those that can't really give us anything in return? Do we? Will they be drawn to Christ? Having the mind of Christ does not simply mean, listen, it does not simply mean that we go through the motions all while enjoying the comfort and convenience of the church building in which we now sit. It is not simply going through the motions. That's the dangerous part that we talked about in the beginning. It's not going through the motions. If we are going to have the mind of Christ, we are going to live out a life of humility and love while standing on the truth of God's world in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. Right in the middle of them, we're going to be shining as lights for Jesus, not how good we are, not how great our class is, not how great of a witness we are, not how good I am and build up my stats one day so Jesus can tell me how great I am at the throne, but so that we can turn around and tell him how great he is because he sits on the throne. Is our life that way? Do we proclaim Jesus with the very air that we breathe? Or is it just something that we go through the motions? Guys, it's a whole lot more fun when you don't just go through the motions. I mean, look at me. 
I know it's not nothing to be desired. I understand that. But I'm, I'm having a great time. Being a Christian is fun, man. It's hard. But as long as God's on the throne and Satan's got a spot in hell and I don't, then I don't have to worry about all this other stuff that goes on around me. Because I'm victorious. You're victorious. Let's live like it. Victors, all the videos that you see of people, the teams that win, do they just, oh, good job, let's go eat some pizza. No. They're jumping up and knocking over Coach May and Massey's jumping in on the pile. Everybody's getting excited. Go Hagen gets his dander up. Everybody's excited because, man, we just won. We're not going to hell. Let's get excited and jump on that pile. Let's be excited the fact that we have a relationship with the one that created us. That's the reason that me and Bella get to sing to my Savior one day in heaven together. Because my Jesus loves me that much. No matter what I do. And guys, it's high time that we start loving others the same way. I asked you in the beginning to consider the hope of salvation that is brought to you and me by the humility of Christ. My brothers and sisters, the hope that we have of salvation is because Jesus humbly died for us. Will we live out and give to others the same humility and love that God extends to all of us even when we were his enemies? And had no idea what it was like to be a Christian because we too were lost. Will we remember that as we love each other in this room? As we love those that are not saved that do come from time to time? And as we go out to our workplace, will we remember that Jesus died for us? And that we are not owed a single bit of it. And let's give that to somebody else. Whether the altar is here, whether it's in your heart where you're sitting, let's shed some tears over some people that don't know Jesus because we know what they're missing out on. Do we know what they're missing out on? That's my challenge to you this morning. Consider that. Don't leave this room without knowing that you know that you know where you stand as a child of God. And then by accepting the mission that he's given to us to love as he did and does. Let's pray for you.